0: conversation about what's being called, in some cases, the smartphone war. Now, I was just telling you a few minutes ago about the latest atrocity that has people horrified uh, to come out of Ukraine. A missile hit a train station where um, thousands of people had flocked in order to flee the country. Um, Ukrainian authorities say that 50 people, at least 50, died in the strike, and they warn they expect to find more evidence of war crimes. Um, Now, there's photos, there's video from the scene showing bodies covered in tarps on the ground. And this is the most chilling part. The remnants of a rocket with the words, for the children, painted on it in Russian. Now, all kinds of questions about why that would be painted, who painted it. I mean, this is the situation that we're in because we've got almost instant access through our smartphones, everybody's got a camera, and this information, if you want to see this, it's very easy. Go on Twitter. Go on, i sure, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. You will see it. It's there. It's instantaneous, and it's being spread around the world, um, and it's really changing the way that we're experiencing what's happening. And that's what we're going to talk about now with Mark. Uh, Kansian, if I'm saying that correctly, a retired colonel with the US Marine Corps, a senior advisor with the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, DC. Um, colonel. Thanks colonel thank for having you for me on time. the show. Yeah, thank Kansian, did I say that correctly? You did. Thank you. Awesome. Excellent. Okay, glad to hear it. Um, okay, let's take a look at this. this. I mean, this kind of access to information, right? I mean, basically, that's what it is. It's it's instantaneous. Um, it's just, it's constant. It's really unprecedented, isn't it?
1: Well, it is. I, I think we also keep in mind that this is part of a long-term trend. That is, um, the increasing amount of information about conflict that's available to Publix, you know, beginning back you know, in the 19th century when the first photographs uh, came out, and then you, know, you have moving photos, and then in Vietnam you have TV. Yep. Arguably, it's accelerated now because you have so many people out there, as you said, you know, with smartphones or able to post information. Um, mm-hmm. We also have to remember that you can distribute the information much more rapidly. Not only are we uh, not only are they pictures, but they go around the world instantaneously, so you can have um, mm-hmm. Groups of people analyzing what's happening as it happens. I I received a number of photographs uh, and was asked, you know, is this from a rocket? Is this from an uh, artillery shell? Is this from an aircraft bomb? And we could do that within an hour or two, something that in the past would take
0: days or weeks to do. (laughs) We're seeing some of the footage actually being distributed by soldiers, which I find absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, people who are actually involved in whatever the operation is, or, you know, they're either commenting throughout the video, or they're filming it themselves. I mean, have we ever seen anything like that before? And what does that tell you?
1: Um, I mean, we haven't really seen anything like that before. I mean, you know, and you go in the past, and you Um, soldiers would take pictures of themselves and send them back to family but of course that's a long process and the idea now that you know as events occur as battles uh, unfold people are taking pictures of it um, is really uh, quite extraordinary and you know and I think that's going to be a permanent feature of warfare the United States has tried to clamp down on that um, for uh, operational reasons Uh, not clear they're going to have a whole lot of success with everybody uh, having those, um, you know, those um, tools uh, available to them. We do have to keep in mind, though, th- that the pictures come without context, and the open source analysts out there work very, very hard to try to check on the on uh, the validity of the of the videos and you know where they are and what was going on and try to put a little context around it, but. We do need to be careful. You know, for example, we have this. uh, We frequently have uh, uh, Russian fire into cities, and civilians are getting hurt. It's uh, deplorable. But what we don't know is, you know, whether there was a military target. Uh, nearby that the Russians were aiming at. Uh, and the civilians, you know, were collateral damage, which doesn't excuse it, but it does put it in a little different context. If, you know, for example, across the street was an artillery park or something like that. And that's the part
0: that, that doesn't come out. And we have to be a little careful, recognizing that we only have a part of the story. That's what I wanted to ask you. Like, th- I'm sure you've seen it. Um, the the photos that are coming out from the Ukrainian uh, train station this morning. Yep. And, and apparently, and I saw it tweeted out by some Ukrainian MPs that I follow on Twitter. Look at this missile. The remnants of this missile has four of the children painted on it in Russian. We don't know who painted that. I mean, do, when you see something like that, what, what goes through your mind to try and analyze the picture, the video, whatever it is, and sort of get an understanding of what it's telling us and what it might be telling us because somebody wants us to believe something?
1: Well, there was open-source analysts out there who were really pretty good at trying to track things down. And of course, if we had the people on the ground, you know, they could look at the paint and you know see whether it was fresh and yeah. uh, you know where where you know whether you know were these uh, Russians who painted it or was it someone who ran up afterwards and painted yeah. it on there? Um, and you know, we we really don't know. And again, that's why we uh, have to be uh, careful uh, here. We also have to be careful in that you know we're getting a close-up look of what war looks like. And in many ways, that's good. I mean, people now appreciate the destructiveness of war and the suffering of war at a a level that they didn't before. You know, it's one thing to read uh, something that says, you know, the Russian shelling caused widespread destruction and some civilian casualties. But then when you see it, you know, burned out buildings and civilians dead on the ground, you know, there's a whole different emotional reaction. And in many ways, that's good we also have to be a little careful because, um, you know, sometimes people will say, we've got to do something. This is the time to to, take on Russia. And I say, well, we have to think about that real carefully before we, we start a war with a nuclear armed power. Now, you know, maybe someday we get there, but, you know, we have to think about that very calmly and you know, put aside some of the emotion that goes with the pictures.
0: Um, last one, and then I'll let you get out of here. We know that there's a lot of calls for somebody to be held accountable for what we perceive to be war crimes, um, atrocities, things like that. This video, these photographs, will those be... Will they form evidence ultimately? I mean, do do we is this going to help in terms of making sure that people are held accountable if indeed war crimes have been committed? I mean, are we just gathering more and more evidence than we ever have before, too? Well, we are, and,
1: and these are clearly helpful in. Uh, targeting places where war crimes might have occurred. And there are g- groups on the ground, investigators, who will then go there and pick up the context that we've been talking about. So as a first step, this is uh, critical. Yeah. Uh, but it's not the end of the story. And if I could have one more one more point that I think people haven't really appreciated, and that is that in our day to day lives, we run around and we take pictures and we post them and it's very, very normal. One thing we haven't really thought about is, you know, if you are a Ukrainian behind Russian lines and you're running around taking pictures of Russian equipment and Russian troops and posting it online, th- there's a name for that. It's called espionage. And you have to be, you have to be very careful that people don't inadvertently cross that line. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if they do it, well, they do it intentionally, but they don't do it inadvertently. And then, you know, we have... You know, what are allegedly right, war crimes, and then the Russians get up there and say, hey, you know, this guy was taking pictures of our troops and sending them over to the Ukrainians so we could be attacked. No, that's, he was a spy. Uh,
0: so people need to sort of keep that change in mind. People just don't understand that, though, do they, Colonel? I mean, we don't, we don't have that kind of understanding. You just think you're grabbing your phone and you're taking a video, you don't realize some of the lines that are being crossed here. Well, that's right, and that's why I, I, I raised the point yeah. so you know people are more sensitive to it in the future. Makes great sense, uh, Colonel. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me on the show. You bet. That's Colonel Mark Kansian, a retired colonel with the U.S. Marine Corps, senior advisor with the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. And I mean, I don't know, like if you haven't seen this video footage, it's it's a it's the remnants of a missile that struck this. Ukrainian train station today. It's a pretty big chunk of a missile, right? And it has written on the side of it what we're being told is Russian for for the children.